WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 370.5. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG headquarters building in a northern Atlanta suburb. Today's show was recorded on the 19th of April. Today's show, it's a special show. It's a feedback extra that we do every once in a while to try to catch up on your great feedback. So that's what we're going to talk about today. No news, no plain tale, and that's it. So sit back and relax. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 370.5 is ready for pushback. Yes, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, a podcast slash talk show, and we're here to answer all of that great feedback that we get from you, and I did all of that without a script. Can you believe it? I looked up and I thought, where is my script? It's not there. Oh, well, I'll just... Like a true professional. Shoot it from the hip. Like someone who's done it 370 odd times before. Yeah, you'd think that I would have been able to do that a lot sooner than now, but you'd be wrong. Okay. Well, <laughs> patience and practices makes perfect, right? So, uh, if you say so. All right. Sure. Uh, did you hear that lovely voice? Yes, she's a. Oh, I better get my script now. She's a doctor. Uh, Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. It's me. It's her, <laughs> Doctor Staff. Dr. Staff. <laughs> Thank you. It's all right. I, I, should I do got that you every there. time. I got you there. <laughs> Well, hello, Dr. Steph, and welcome to our show today. Hi, Captain Jeff. Thank you for having me on the show today. Oh, it is all our pleasure, for sure. And also joining us today from across the pond, he is a professional <laughs> photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current an captain. An old bloke from England. For an old bloke for, from England. He's a great guy, though. <laughs> really is. It's Captain Nick. Hi, Jeff. Wow. You, you dragged me out of the beautiful sunshine into my dark and dreary studio. But I'm happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to uh, some great questions uh, on this show. So looking forward to tackling this feedback. Excellent. So one of the reasons why I'm not super prepared this morning is because I'm still editing the last show that we recorded on Tuesday of this week. So I'm, I'm uh, scrambling. Things are just all messed up. But uh, we'll do our best to uh, knock out this feedback. So if this is the first time you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, it's a little bit different today. Not a lot different, but a little bit different. Um, the first thing I want to do is straighten out something that I really screwed up on the last show. And uh, we have a lot of meetups here and there around the world. And we have a couple of upcoming meetups, uh, at least for me, next trip. I'm going to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Larry Gregory is hosting the meetup. We're going to be at, uh, let's see, where is this? Um, the 
Albert G's Barbecue on 421 East 1st Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that is April 23rd, and we're meeting at 4 o'clock, and we'll probably hang out until 7 or 8 o'clock, something like that. So if you can't make it right at 4 o'clock, that is just fine. And uh, join us for some great barbecue and great beer and great conversation in Tulsa. Thank you, Larry, for for putting that all together. And then we have the following week on my trip, I'll be in Kansas City for one of the layovers. And Tom Seagraves has coordinated uh, and organized a meetup there as well. And I'm trying to recall what uh, place we're going to be there, like Q37 or something like that. It's a interesting sounding place. I don't have it written down on my show notes. But anyway, it's uh, the information for that is on the Slack team or the Slack application, Slack service, Hillel. We'll tell us about that at the very end of the show, but basically send Hillel an email slack at airlinepilotguy.com and he'll set you up if you are already not uh, subscribing to the Slack team and you can find out all kinds of information. Speaking of that, I'm going to, this is a little bit more casual than we normally do. I'm going to go over here to the Slack page because there's quite a bit of activity uh, recently regarding some Q39. Thank you, Liz. Just sent me that information. Q39 in Kansas City is where we're going to be meeting on the uh, 29th, I believe. Uh, but again, check out Slack and also check out the APG community calendar, which you can find at the Airline Pilot Guy website. Uh, but I did notice that there was a conversation. I was looking at this this morning. Uh, Keith C. says, hey, I noticed you're going to be in Bradley uh, or up uh, Hartford, Springfield, uh, Bradley International, on the 16th of May. And he says, there, there is likely to be a bunch of C-47s at Kilo Oscar X-Ray Charlie, about a 45-minute drive away, uh, ready to fly over to Normandy for the D-Day commemoration. I was planning on going to that on Sunday for when they were all departing, and I know that Max Flight was interested in going as well. Max Flight, the host of Airplane Geeks. And uh, then Max kind of chimed in and he said, yes, press day is the 16th or 17th. So I'm going to be there on the 16th. Sounds like there is a meetup being uh, formulated for that uh, time frame. And also pilot Nick Camacho. Uh, he's the guy that is um, one of the team members of Betty Betsy's Biscuit Bomber uh, from uh, Paso Robles, um, the C-47, also heading to Normandy. Uh, they're going to be there as well, I believe. And he said, yeah, I think the 16th is the press day. So he will be there as well. So it looks like it's going to be a really nice meetup, perhaps, uh, before all these DC-3 slash C-47s head over the Atlantic and uh, over to Normandy for that celebration. So be on the lookout on the APG calendar and also join our Slack team. And then you'll be all up to date. And that's in the meetups events channel. All right. Anything else we wanted to mention at the beginning of the show before we start tackling feedback? Nope. I don't think so. Okay. I just have you speechless, don't I, this morning? <laughs> okay. Well, here we go. Let's see. Jeff, play this one.
Captain. Incoming message. Very good. All right. Would someone like to talk about the first? Let's see. I'm getting in information from Liz. She's <clears throat> asking about Duxford. Hi. Oh, did you want to mention Duxford? Yeah, Duxford. I mean, Pip's in the there you go. chat room, so. Duxford. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, let's go back then. Um, there is a meetup in the UK at Duxford on May 12th. For those of you who happen to be in that area, um, good old old pilot Captain Nick may be making an appearance there, depending on how his schedule goes. And uh, yeah, so join Pilot Pip and Captain Al and the PTUK crew and others on the 12th of May at Duxford. There you go. Thank you. Okay. Now, back over to the feedback. Brain. Would you did you want someone to read number 1? I'd be happy to. Yes, I would love Except for you Tyler. to do that. All right. Great. <laughs> Our first feedback of this feedback extra is from Tyler. It's about his aviation journey. He says, good afternoon, APG crew. My name is Tyler, and I've been listening to y'all's amazing podcast for about four months now, just about every day, all day at work, and decided to finally send some feedback. Wait, hang on. What kind of job does Tyler have that he can listen to our show all day, every day at work? Probably one where he doesn't have to interact with people. And I'm very <laughs> jealous, yeah. Tyler. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, he says, I am from San Antonio, Texas, and I am currently in Little Rock, Arkansas to get my PPL. Ah, that's what he's uh, basically flying all day listening to our podcast. And yeah, he goes to his instructor. Uh, I'm sorry. Say what, what, what were you saying? <laughs> what, did, were you saying something? <laughs> I was listening to the show. <laughs> What's that? Steep turns? Okay. <laughs> and plan on the next four to six months to be at ATP school in Austin, Texas to get the rest of my certifications. I want to thank you all for everything you do. Listening to your podcast has really put my butt in gear. And every day after work, if weather permits, I'm gaining hours and days it doesn't. I fly my club simulator. I can't think of a better job than doing what I love every day. Took my first discovery flight when I was 16 years old and have been hooked ever since. I've shared your podcast with many people I work with and people in my flight club that I am a part of and many and got many hooked as well. Can't waste, wait to listen to your next podcast. Uh, so, yep. That's from, from Tyler. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Tyler. Appreciate the nice kind words regarding our show. We, uh, really enjoy doing it and, uh, we're, we're glad that other people enjoy listening. And, um, good luck on everything with your PPL and hope everything goes smoothly for getting all of your certificates, certifications. What, what gear is his butt going into, do you think? Hmm. High gear. Third? High gear. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you talking about car gears or oh never mind well i'm not quite sure i i <laughs> I, I only have one gear for my butt but he might have more uh, <laughs> These... depends on your make and model i don't know <laughs> well, we really don't want to hear but much more go there. about yeah. your butt <laughs> oh, okay fair enough sorry nothing sorry tyler yeah all right steve uh let's see would you like to take this one uh, captain nick 
Yeah, I, I'm very glad I've, I've just managed to fix my computer. Sorry, that's oh, why I was messing okay. about. You were like ducking down. I was like, where did he? Oh. Yeah, uh, I was just had some uh, screen issues, which I've solved. Uh, it's from uh, Steve, and it's uh, entitled his aviation journey. So this sounds great. Hello, I've been an avid listener of the APG podcast since Jeff began the show oh, some time ago. It has been a great source of information and entertainment for me since then. My background gives me a rather unique insight into certain issues that tend to come up from time to time, and I found myself wishing to weigh in. In all uh, honesty, there's been times I've found myself driving down the road listening to the show and shouting responses into the void. That's that funny noise we've been hearing. I think so. Oh, last we found the source. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> I'm a second-generation airline pilot who's been with Frontier Airlines since 1995, so I sit at number 15 on a current roster of 1,450 pilots. Wow. Good job, sir. Uh, my love for all things aviation goes back to my earliest memories. Riding on the uh, Convair 580, my dad flew for the original Frontier, and sitting on his lap flying the DC-3, he flew part-time for a local travel club here in Denver. Wow, what a memory. Brilliant. My own airline experience includes the trials of a discount airline pilot guy through a quarter of a century of the ups and downs. Well, you're a pilot, so what do you expect? Oh, oh of economic uncertainty. Uh, the unofficial tagline I've given our pilot group states, we've flown safely for so long with so few resources, we're now qualified to operate in any conditions with zero resources, including catering, maintenance, dispatch, or other ground staff, and even fuel for that matter. <laughs> Brilliant. We move, <laughs> yeah, no. sure. we move our aircraft through the sheer force of our will and experience. That's a great tagline. About the, uh, 12 years ago, I rekindled my love for grassroots aviation by teaching myself to fly radio-controlled model aircraft and helicopters. This activity has a tradition as a springboard into aerospace careers for kids for over 80 years, and I certainly started off building model airplanes, although mine were control line, you know, wires going around in circles. I never got onto radio control. Uh, it is a fundamental form of stick-and-rudder flying as you can get. Uh, largely absent the uh, politics and complications uh, so prevalent in full-scale aviation. This activity finds itself recently under threat of increased regulation and possible elimination due to the never-ending stream of bad actors who are not part of the legitimate hobby of model aviation. Nevertheless, give all of us who follow established rules a black eye. I'm committed to ALPA on one hand, but because my advocacy exists for both groups, I've a need for seats on opposite sides of the table. This leads to a rather strange version of musical chairs, which often leaves me out of breath. My involvement with model aviation has introduced me to many kids with an eye towards lives in aviation. I've tried my best to mentor these kids, in a way I thought would help them move towards rewarding careers. 
few years ago, I also began spending time volunteering at a local aviation-themed high school and its parent organisation, the Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum. Oh, that sounds brilliant. These engagements have convinced me it's time to refresh my relationship with general aviation. My most recent efforts have been targeted at getting my CFI certificates reissued. I'm not sure how far down this rabbit hole I'll fall, but I must admit to discovering in myself a latent desire to own uh, a, a what? A decathlon. Decathlon, yep. How do you own a decathlon? I thought you ran one. Well, you can, but there's also an airplane with the name Oh, there's decathlon. an airplane called a decathlon. Yeah, it's oh, an right, aerobatic okay. tail dragger. It's, it's very cool. Oh, um, yeah. really? Oh, okay. Well, there, I've learned something. Uh, let me know if there's anything you need from me to join the group. Uh, sincere, <laughs> sincere, 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 thank you. I like that. Yeah, we've been Steve practicing Brown. while you've been reading. We're going, okay, how do you pronounce yeah, that? Yeah, what is that stupid word? Well, well, just wait till he gets there and see him fumble. <laughs> I mean, we were just going to let you fumble around with it for a while. But. Yeah, that was great. Sincera nautically. Uh, that's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, it, in some ways, Steve, uh, that reflects uh, how this show has rekindled my love. Uh, and aviation, and how I'm now doing uh, lectures around the country, going to schools, and all that sort of thing, uh, doing my best to promote aviation uh, in my own small way, and uh, encourage uh, the next generation. So I, I congratulate you for taking up the uh, torch, as it were, uh, in your part of the world. And if you're out there, and you're in the uh, Denver, uh, Rocky Mountain area, uh, consider joining the uh, Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space. Wait, no, that's not the group. I don't know if he mentioned that. I was going back to find the name of the group, and oh, I don't yeah. know if he actually mentioned it. So, Steve, Tell let us know if there's yeah. an actual name for the group. I think you meant to put it in there. and um, Right. Yeah, we don't not there. see it. But it's a, a group over the, there somewhere. The, yeah, the parent <laughs> organization is the Wings Over the Rockies, uh, but uh, I'm not quite sure exactly yeah. which group is. Well, Steve yeah. Graham left his information, so if you want to contact Steve... Please contact us and we'll put you together. Very good. Brilliant. And uh, I wonder if you're into those uh, um, jet-powered radio-controlled models, because I know a couple of the captains on uh, our outfit uh, do that. In fact, one of them is so well-known now in the kind of circle of, of guys who fly these uh, radio-controlled aircraft that he goes around the world and does a lot of uh, air shows in the States just flying these uh, jet-powered models. He's very, very good. So I'd be interested. That would be so... Those things have to be so expensive or take just hours and hours and hours of work to put together. I would be afraid I'd crash it, just destroy Hopefully it. Hopefully they come pre-assembled. Oh, do so they? You no. just have to spend a lot of money on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nope. <laughs> the, uh, the jet engines are about five grand each. Uh, and they come... They have full FedEx and things and they they have a definite shelf life as well because they wear out fairly quickly so uh, <laughs> you know it's so not you have to be very independently wealthy to um, <laughs> yeah, have yeah, that I, as your hobby or be I, very good at it and maybe be sponsored by people who put on that's events. yes exactly right yeah. there you go yeah awesome well thanks steve appreciate that feedback and uh, jake writes in hey there apg crew quick question regarding medical diversions Due to our geographic location smack dab in the middle of Canada, 
Winnipeg to be exact, we tend to have a lot of medical diversions from long-haul flights crossing the continent. For example, we recently had a Norwegian 787 en route to Los Angeles International divert here for a medical. My question is, when an airline diverts for a medical and makes a quick stop to drop the passenger off, then continues, what happens with that passenger? Are they basically left to fend for themselves to either continue to their destination or home? Or do the airlines make arrangements for that passenger to travel home once released from medical care? I wonder, especially for a location like Winnipeg, where we don't have many international carriers that have regular service here. Keep the AOA within the limits. (laughs) That's nice. Thank you, Jake. That is a good question. And I meant to contact uh, somebody that might know the answer to that uh, dispatcher Mike, I was thinking, might have more information regarding it. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I would assume that the airline um, will be responsible for making sure that you get to either destination or origin, but I don't know. Mm. I, I don't know that they would be. I mean, I guess it depends on maybe the airline or the country that they originated from and what their regulations are. Yeah. I suspect, Jake, that a lot of those people just live in Winnipeg now. <laughs> have you noticed the population growing? <laughs> well, that's that's assuming that they have survived. Uh, right. Because, right. of course, they could be buried in Winnipeg now. Yes. That's true. It's also that's, a, a sad alternative. Yeah. That's best uh, case yeah. scenario for the airline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah, terrible. To, Sorry. To tell the truth, we, we just want them off and their bags off as quickly as possible before we run out of duty time. Uh, so for us, it's, it's quick splash and dash, and we don't even get to find out what happens. And to be truthful, when we go to do our regular um, training with the cabin crew and we usually get a medical team come in and tell us uh, they also find it very hard to find out what happens to the passengers after if they've had a medical emergency and drop them off somewhere what happens to them because of all the problems of medical incompetence etc etc mm-hmm. um, I, I yeah, might once you be, put them in that ambulance and they're on their way you probably don't even know which hospital they are exactly, taken to where exactly you know so keeping track of them and finding out what happened to them is almost impossible for us yeah i i would think i mean this is just me guessing but i would guess that it's probably incumbent upon the passenger assuming they recover well and fully and need to get back to either where they were intending to go or to the their origin um that they would have to then get back in touch with the airline and try and figure out arrangements and i don't know that i, I would guess they would have to buy a new ticket yeah, well, I, be... I'm, I'm thinking that my, a lot of airlines, if they've diverted somewhere to drop them off, that's a bit unusual. A lot of airlines won't have one of their carriers going in there mm-hmm. regularly. Right. So, right. yeah, I mean, if it was a, a, one of our destinations and that we had dropped them off at, then I suspect the airline would go, well, that's fairly easy. We'll, uh, you know, we'll fly you in one of our aircraft, but they're not going to pay for another airline to fly. No, no, no. So if no. it's if it's a, as this bloke says. Uh, uh, as Jake says, where was it? Winnipeg? Winnipeg. Yeah, Winnipeg. we fly to Winnipeg. So if we've diverted in there, I don't think we're going to pay for another airline to move them on. No, they're they'll have to make their own arrangements on a local yeah, carrier afraid, to get to some place where they can I'm afraid so. I would have on. thought so, yeah. Hmm. But if you know what the real uh, what the answer, real answer is, is. <laughs> yeah, please let us know Mike. so we can pass along that information. Because actually, I think we're all kind of curious. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think I've ever thought of that. I have not particular question before either. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jake, for posing the question, and hopefully we'll get a definitive answer for you soon. And 
let's move on. Um, number four, Steph. This is from David. He's talking about the conversation we had about boarding the wrong plane back on episode 368. He says, hi, with Steph saying about people getting on the wrong plane with that town name which existed in both North and South Carolina. It was Greenville. Uh, don't the cabin crew check the boarding passes of everyone at the door of the plane? Here in New Zealand and Aussie, at least, the boarding pass is scanned at the gate, but the cabin crew will eyeball every boarding pass to ensure it is the right flight number. Uh, isn't that done in the U.S.? Um, no, <laughs> it's not. I can tell you that right now. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment, though. Uh did ask them once how many people get past the gate and then get on the wrong plane. They said it happens more often than you would think, hence they have de a dedicated cabin crew member at the door checking the flight number. Apparently happens most on turboprop flights where they don't have jet bridges and a couple of stands use one gate and sometimes one th the first person follows the last purple person, purple, <laughs> last people from the previous flight or the last people on a flight get overtaken during the walk from gate to stand and then follow the people from the next flight to the wrong plane. So yeah, it's, it's big. Mess of confusion of people there. Much easier to sort it out at the door rather than once they are sat down and the aisle is full and you have some passengers uh, uh, playing the play, oh sorry playing the you are sitting in my seat game. <laughs> also happens on jet bridges where there is a rush uh, or one of the scanners is down. So the gate staff uh, start uh, what is tearing that? off the tear off. Tear off. Tearing off on the boarding, oh, on the boarding pass? pass. Okay, tearing off the tear yeah, off on the boarding pass as opposed to scanning everyone. The reason I'm confused about David's um, wording here is that I'm not used to having a paper boarding pass anymore. I just have my, um, you know, electronic one on my my phone with like the QR code and. Well, then you have to break scanned. off a piece of your phone. You have to, yeah, actually have to like smash it into yeah. little tiny pieces and leave a piece behind. Um, yeah, I think that's the problem here in the U.S. is that most people actually, and I would guess in other places too, Europe. I've definitely used. Uh, you know, the boarding passes that look like look like this on your, you know, so you just scan it and then you just turn off the screen and then you hop on the plane and go to sit down. Um, and I've definitely not had my boarding pass checked very often once I get to the door of the aircraft. Only if it's, you know, a lot of times if it's, uh, there's two aisles for the airplane, if it's wide body aircraft and people aren't sure which side of the plane they need to sit on. So they need to be directed to the correct side where people actually will, uh, you know, the uh, cabin crew actually look at the boarding pass and at the seat number. But I don't think they're actually looking at the at the destination on the boarding pass. I think it's just the seat number that they're looking at, to be fair. Yeah. If, if, if it's busy, they're just going to glance and they're looking specifically to find out that one little box of information mm -hmm. uh, with the seat. Uh, so they're not going to be scanning much else on the boarding pass. It's not like they're, they're doing a, um, a, a proper check on it. No, and that's, they kind of assume that if they've got that far, they're on the, on the right. On the correct line. aircraft, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, uh, you know, and I'm thinking back to the times when I was getting on those flights that were parked next to each other and going to, towns with the same name in two different states. Um, a lot of times those were on 50-seat regional jets, and there is one flight attendant on that aircraft. And a lot of times they are not able to be at the door during boarding. There's other things going on as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. They're, they're hiding, drinking a coffee. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so. Owen, um, a professional flight attendant, says, yep, we do that at the door, too, in the Middle East. In my last airline in Europe, we had to check it too so and he's referring to date flight number and destination right all of that mm -hmm. so well that's good interesting yeah yeah it probably is a good thing but it doesn't it does not happen here you would think in today's world with all this electronic stuff that there's absolutely no way that anybody could get on the wrong airplane or 
have a seat dupe or seat duplication is or oh, fly to the wrong uh, destination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen seat duplication happen um, where people get on and go, oh, you're in my seat. And then it turns out, no, they both have the same seat assignment. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. But it's just computers and, you know, nothing is foolproof. Nothing is perfect. Nope. But. All right. Thanks, David. Uh, let's move Sorry, on. Sorry, I had trouble reading your... Oh. I don't know why I was having difficulty... Uh, glasses. You need glasses. Getting through that one. No. <laughs> I can't see. Uh, yeah. I, need more, I need more caffeine, I think. It's still yeah. early and I'm I do too. And yeah. I need something to eat, but I can't because I'm fasting today. Oh. Yes. Uh, uh, let's see. And uh, that's a for... Um, what do you call it? Spiritual reasons for Good Friday. Okay. Although... I am now 60 years old. Technically, I don't have to fast. Oh, there's an exemption? Yep. For, if you're 60 years for the old elderly? or older. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? Hey. Okay. Um, Robert from Mayretta sent us a couple of pieces of feedback here. Uh, the first one uh, he sent for Happy April Fool's Day. Um, and he took a picture uh, of some drink napkins on board looks like a delta airlines flight perhaps and it says out with the diet coke hookup napkins and in with a rat maze and so he shows you the back of the coca-cola diet coke uh, napkin and it has a maze and i'm not sure exactly what he's saying here so at the start it says mad dog captain and then at the finish airbus joystick player does that mean that the mad dog captain can't even make it past the starting point but the airbus joystick player can make it to the end is oh, that what he's trying to say no, I, I you... if you complete the maze that's what you end up as ah, that, that was my guess as well. oh okay well that makes yeah. a lot more sense <laughs> Glad you that know you guys I, are I was trying to work out what it said in the bottom left corner it says uh a diet coke and it was because I, uh, and I've can. realized now what it because says. I can. But Yeah, but it looked like Carl, C-A-R-L. And I'm going, because I Carl? <laughs> what on earth? It was that? You don't know, you don't know Carl? No, I, don't, I haven't met Carl. So is he a big Coke fan? I guess. I guess. My, my bad eyesight. I must uh, get some new glasses. Okay. Well, thank you, Robert, for that. And uh, his second one, um, after a manufacturer decides to discontinue a plane model, have any of you ever been privy to what the maintenance and upkeep of that plane looks like and who's responsible? Uh, and thinking about what happened with the 737 MAX, what if a similar incident occurred with a 757? Have y'all ever seen a warranty-style contract or any other kind of arrangement that would define what would happen in such a case where the plane is no longer manufactured. Is it up to the airline to decide how much longer aftermarket parts are financially viable to keep the planes in the air? And or would there be a search party sent for the engineers who designed it potentially decades before? Thanks, Robert in Mayretta. Well, I believe, I don't know for sure, but I believe that when you buy an airplane from a major manufacturer, uh, even if they stop making the airplane, I think that they're still uh, under warranty uh, from that company. But as time goes on, I think that maybe the supply of parts 
becomes uh, depleted. And I do know that um, the company that I, I floor, fly for uh, has had to actually manufacture parts for them for, for ourselves for airplanes that need certain things. Um, but that's just to get. And the other thing I was going to say, uh, the I flew the 727, and we were the first major airline that actually put winglets on our 727, and that was back in the 90s. And it was an aftermarket company that uh, we used to put the winglets on. They came to Acme and said, hey, we'd like to put winglets on your 727s, and it's going to give you like a 5% uh, lower fuel burn and some other advantages. And Acme said, oh, yeah, sure, that's great. Let's do that. And then Boeing caught wind of the fact that an aftermarket company had installed uh, devices on the end of their wings and said, um, well, Acme, uh, that's really great. Uh, but if you want to uh, still have the warranty on that airplane, you have to remove the winglets. And so I guess Acme weighed the options and decided it was best to remove the winglets and, you know, bring them back to the, uh, the, uh, spec and, still have the warranty in place. Now, the last year that they made the 727, I believe, was 1984. And again, this was in the 90s. So that's what leads me to believe that there must be some kind of warranty still in effect for these airplanes. That's my guess. I guess when you take on the aircraft, you negotiate in the contract how long you are going to have support from the mother company. But I think in a lot of cases... Uh, the airline, sorry, the manufacturer has a responsibility. For example, if they discovered that there was a flaw in the original design, then it wouldn't matter how old the aircraft was, they would be uh, required to make that right for all the aircraft, even if it was going to. But things that break, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought that that would, uh, warranty would last more than a few years unless you, you know, paid for your Apple Care to go on for 20 years or 30 years or whatever, you know, so. Which would make um, the cost of the airplane twice as much. Well, yeah, that, yes. to be fair, I think that's the, where a lot of uh, manufacturers make most of their money. You know, they sell aircraft at often incredibly discounted prices, but I think they plan on eventually making their money from uh, all the after service stuff that they have to do to keep the aircraft flying. Mind you, I've never flown an airplane, really, that's more than about 10 years old, Jeff, so I wouldn't know. I don't think I've ever flown an airplane that is less than 10 years old. <laughs> Seriously. I really haven't. I love it. <laughs> I've, never, I've never experienced that new aircraft smell. Oh, A couple well. of uh, interesting thoughts in the chat room along the uh, lines of this question, because uh, some of them are questions that I, answered, or I had as well that have not been answered. Um do it so presumably when they park some of those older aircraft in the boneyards they're using those aircraft for parts sometimes as well that's Presum probably reasonable um yeah yeah and third-party maintenance has to be approved by manufacturer and the faa and all of that good stuff yeah, I think they have to jump through various hoops if you're going to be uh, sending your aircraft to a third-party maintenance uh, company. But uh, exactly how that happens, I don't know. Um, I remember we had our work done by a company in 
uh, Manila once uh, on some of our major checks. I remember flying down with one of our engineers whose job it was to um, do checks on the company that was doing the maintenance to make sure that everything was being done in accordance uh, with our requirements. Uh, And and I suspect that uh, he also carries a flag for uh, our licensing authority and all those things as well, so that uh, those checks are endorsed by whoever has registered the aircraft to make sure it's being done properly. I would assume that's... Yeah, I think that's the way it works. Um, MRO and other countries like Acme, we I've taken a couple of jets down to um, the city that I can't ever pronounce correctly. Somewhere in Mexico? Yeah, Cuadrado or something like that. Um, Vanilla pie? No, it's in Mexico. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, and apparently the the supervisor has to be the one that has all the certifications and everything else but i from what i understand the actual mechanics that are working on the airplane itself do not have to have the same credentials but the qa and supervisory aspect of the thing uh, those folks do uh, and so uh, supposedly that makes it okay which yeah the, the blokes that actually do the the work are usually uh, itinerant plumbers and uh, you know people who uh, normally build houses and they're doing it in their spare time that sort of thing yeah that makes you feel good doesn't it oh yeah because they do such a great job with those houses the plumbing and <laughs> wiring and everything else well you joke when i uh, when i worked at british aerospace for a little while uh, between the air force and uh, my airline uh, i was asking them who actually builds the aircraft they make there and they actually said oh we get a lot of guys from all sorts of uh, uh, sort of you know, they, they, they don't have any aircraft training at all. They are literally plumbers mm-hmm. and electricians who come in off the street. And we give them a specific job to do as part of the building process. And mm-hmm. they learn that job and then they just do it. And their work is then overseen and signed off by a licensed engineer. And apparently they do it very well. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that makes a lot of sense if they're just doing one specific task over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, any yeah. reason why you can't learn to do that well exactly. and safely. Yeah. Yeah, it just came as a surprise to me. I thought they'd all be you know, licensed engineers from the aerospace in- industry, but not so. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there's not quite that many to go around. No. So, hey, speaking of um, names of towns that you can't pronounce, going back, you said, is it, I thought I always thought it was Marietta. Is that not how you pronounce the no, name that's, of the town? Or that's you being, kind of a, a slang that we silly? use. Okay. Marietta is the correct pronunciation, okay. but we a lot of us say Marietta. Okay, I just yeah. wasn't sure if I had been mispronouncing yeah. that town name forever. No, no, forever. no. If you're if you're in okay. the Atlanta area, a lot of people refer to that city Mayretta. as Mayretta, okay. the just... big chicken, Mayretta. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's why I was saying vanilla pie because if you look at it, it actually should be pronounced when you happy, but uh, that's what you think it reads. Right. Anyway. Which town? Vanilla <laughs> pie. It's a place in New Zealand. I think it's in New Zealand. Vanilla oh. pie. Someone, someone help me out there. But when you look at it, it was a bit of a joke we always had in the Air Force when we flew there. Uh, it's actually called. I guess you just had to be there. I like to know how the locals pronounce things, so I want to <laughs> yes. make sure I'm not, not screwing it up. No, I uh, Marietta is correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I used to have a Marietta address. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. I'm going to read this one. You uh, had a dress, sorry? I did, yes. I have several, along oh, with okay. um, coordinating pumps. Um, yeah, thank you. Handbags, too? Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. 
I'm going to read number seven, and then I'm going to have uh, Nick take on number eight. So let me start with Mike. Uh, I've been listening for a couple of years now due to a, an interest, a general interest in aviation. And with the recent feedback on the Air Force and Air National Guard, I thought I'd offer some input on the greener side of the fence, the Army and Army National Guard. You frequently talk about following your dreams, and for me, that has been to be a military pilot. I now find myself about to begin training to hopefully become a helicopter pilot in the Army National Guard. I made the decision to pull the trigger on this plan as I was wrapping up my law degree. It has been a sacrifice in terms of my immediate job prospects as a civilian attorney, but with the support of my very patient and loving wife, it is fortunately something I'm able to pursue. The Army is currently the only branch which produces warrant officer aviators in addition to more traditional uh, commissioned officer aviators. Warrants are not required to have a four-year degree. Furthermore, as they progress through their career in aviation, they stay focused on flying, following a career advancement track that may include tactical operations, flight instruction, maintenance, among a few others. This keeps them in the cockpit for their entire career. For this reason, I opted to pursue the warrant rather than commissioned route. Another thing your listeners may be interested in is the Army has an age cutoff of 33, much older than the other services. Now, for what some of your listeners may see as a drawback, the Army primarily flies helicopters and doesn't include any fixed-wing training as part of their primary flight school. That said, on the active duty side of the fence, a handful of turboprop turboprop pilots are selected right out of many classes. On the guard side, those transitions are typically reserved for more senior pilots and are only available in limited uh, locations. The process for the active army is relatively straightforward. The army still runs a program that is known as street to seat, allowing potential recruits to contract as warrant officer aviators. They even select some students right out of high school. Selectees will attend basic training at one of various locations, followed by a warrant officer candidate school, uh, SEER, and flight school at Fort Rucker, Alabama. After completion, the current service obligation is an additional six years, though there is talk of it jumping to eight. A normal recruiter handles this process, but be forewarned that some have no idea what they're doing or may try to nudge someone to enlist in another occupation first. Yeah, you got to really watch out for those recruiters. Uh, fortunately, there is a web forum that is rich with advice on how to set up packets, deal with recruiters, and get into the program. And uh, we'll put the website link in the show notes. Assuming candidates meet all the entry criteria to include passing the military ASVAB and SIFT tests, I have no idea what those, that, that stands for. Obtaining a military class one flight physical, receiving a security clearance, etc. Selection rates for civilians right now are very high. The guard side of the fence is slightly different and will vary state by state. Some states have no problem putting people in street deceit, while others want either prior service experience or current enlisted or commissioned membership in that state's National Guard. This will typically vary with the needs of the state. The feedback from Patrick mentioned politics being a factor on the air guard side. While I don't think it weighed heavily on my board, it helped that I had letters of recommendation from people the board was familiar with and liked. Like everything in life, networking and references often mean a lot more than test results and grades. 
This is true in the legal field. I'm sure it's true in the airlines and is apparently also true in the military. Having a tolerable personality is helpful as well. I love that. A tolerable personality. A couple of other notes on balancing a civilian career with the guard. Pilots still need to maintain their minimums, which means showing up weekly to fly in addition, weekly to fly in addition to their monthly drill weekends and summer annual training. Also, the guard deploys just like active duty, and in fact, sometimes more than active duty. Every guard pilot I have talked to stresses it is essentially a part-time job you need to balance against your civilian career. So listeners should keep that in mind. Also, things often move a little slower in the guard side. I'm looking at over a year between, between being accepted and starting warrant officer candidate school and potentially some more time before heading back for the rest of my training. Active duty is typically a six-month wait between the board and starting all the training at once. Note, there are also Army Reserve aviation units, but the various state National Guard units make up the majority of the non-active component aviation. One final note for anyone thinking of using the military for flight training. Whatever your branch, well, maybe except for the Air Force. Only kidding. (laughs) Eh. Uh, You are a war fighter first. The various programs are awesome, and now is the time to do it with selection rates so high across the board. But you need to do it for the right reasons. I spent time on the ground as an infantry marine in Afghanistan. I want to be a pilot because I know how important close air support and medical evacuation is to the fighting man. I also am aware of the dangers military pilots face. If you don't want to be in the fight and you aren't putting military service as your primary reason for joining the military to fly, then I'd implore you to reconsider. I've had no greater satisfaction in my life than serving, which is why I had no hesitation in signing up again. I think everyone can grow from it, no matter what they do, but that needs to be the driving factor in making this decision, not free flight school. I apologize for the lengthy feedback, but I try to make it as um, information-dense as possible. Honestly, I could get into the weeds and write something five times longer, but I don't think anybody is interested in that. Hopefully, they have what they need to do their own homework. Given the broader recruiting pool of the Army, hopefully this opens up some doors for a couple listeners. All the best, and keep putting out a great show. Mike. Wow. That was definitely information-dense. Uh, Mike, great. Yeah, and great, great information. It is. We actually- We've got a, yeah, did you see that in the chat room? No. We've got uh, Michael Slaughter, who's uh, a Black Hawk a Warren Austin instructor pilot. Oh, I've got someone at the door. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, looks like uh, SIFT, uh, Michael Slaughter, uh, SIFT, Selection Instrument for Flight Training, and he's a Black Hawk Warrant Officer Instructor Pilot. Nice. No, this will be, um, back to Mike, thanks for uh, all that information. It'll be really helpful to people who've had those questions for us. Um, so hopefully a lot of uh, people will be using that information that you gave, those resources, and finding their way into uh, military flying. So uh, the podcast Opposing Bases, R-H and A-G, A-G is involved. Is it the Reserve or Guard that uh, A-G oh, is part of? You would of? have to ask, and I actually don't know. It's one of those. Head. Yes, and it's yes. it's Army, and he was mm-hmm. a Chinook um, helicopter pilot, but he is now. I think he's still down there. I think he's getting close to the end of his uh, yes. training in the uh, King Air, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, military version of the King Air, and so that's a uh, fixed wing. And I 
he's not active duty. So apparently it's possible to, uh, you know, transition to fixed wing, but I guess it's not yes. easy. Logan thinks he's a guard. Guard. I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. He's tra- training on the army King air. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess a lot of us don't think about, uh, the army as an option, uh, but it's definitely something to look at because as Mike mentions, the selection rate is, seems to be pretty high. It's a big, it's a, there's more opportunity there. And, uh, yeah. And then the, we all know of people, many of whom are APG community members who have gone through that. Uh, what, what, what do we call that uh, stuff? The uh, helicopter, the rotary to fixed oh, the wing. Rotor, rotor transition yeah. training. So something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yes. Plenty there. of plenty of people do that. And that's um, definitely an option for for folks who are flying the whirly birds. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. But the, the army guys don't stay in five star hotels, do they? Hmm, probably not. Even when Do they're flying any? for the airline, they, they put them at a dumpy hotel, I think. Because that's what they're used just, to. Yeah. <laughs> or make them sleep in a tent. That's uh, nick at airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. And speaking of nick at airlinepilotguy.com, let's uh, do eight. Absolutely. So this is uh, from Stefan, and uh, he titles this uh, Lessons from the... Uh, Tenerife Plain Tail, dear APG crew. Captain Nick's, uh, I won't say his compliment because it sounds self-congratulatory. But well, let me do Captain it. Nick. Fantastic no. Plain Tail on the Tenerife accident. <laughs> Just amazing how many lessons we can take away from this day to, from that accident. Yeah. Is that okay. one? That wasn't that. No, okay. That was yeah. Uh, made me think because I uh, recently was in a similar situation. Uh, raise your hand if you, you notice similarities to the Tenerife accident. I was in an Acme Junior flight to uh, MSP. Where's that? Minneapolis, St. Paul. Oh, there. Thanks for being, uh, Diverting to LSE. Uh, I'm not sure. That what one. Hold on. LSE I, will, is. I will come back to you in two Thank seconds on much. that one. Someone will probably okay. keep me in the uh, chat room there. Due to an unexpected airport closure, our flight was the first to divert, refueled relatively rapidly, but then had to wait due to the other aircraft being received by the overwhelmed gate personnel. It is La Crosse Regional in oh. La Crosse, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, okay. Okay, Wisconsin. so we're guessing it's not a big, not a big place. It is not a big place. Oh, okay. So uh, the gate personnel being a bit overwhelmed, then the captain asked us to uh, rapidly reboard because he might time out. Uh, after some more delays, waiting for pushback, we finally taxied out, but suddenly we made a U-turn, going halfway back to the gate and stopped. The captain came on the PA system saying that he had timed out and uh, had to return to the gate and get a hotel room. Uh, but we would have to wait uh, another 30 minutes because our gate was now occupied by another flight. Well, that's pretty common. As soon as you leave your gate, someone else usually slides into your slot. It's just like a very busy parking ground. Uh, After that, uh, most passengers uh, had to be bussed to uh, St. Paul. Uh, Okay, I admit I caught the last remaining seat on the only flight that left that day. Uh, The Acme shiny stone status really came in hand that day. Shiny stone status. Like diamonds. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. To his credit, our captain made the hard call. 
I can only wish the Tenerife KLM 747 captain uh, had done the same. Uh, one contributing factor in particular made me think, though, the crew worrying about timing out while taxiing. This is an example of a safety rule uh, that, because of its inflexibility, becomes a safety concern itself. Why not write the rule such that the decision is at door closure or pushback? That would take away any pressure to hurry for takeoff, which is the last thing I want my captain to be doing on his last takeoff of the day. I've heard of similar issues with other rules. For example, uh, well, sorry, one example that comes to mind is a GA pilot from down under flying the return trip in bad weather on the last day of the month, all because the plane was out of annual the next morning. Uh, means it ne needed a maintenance check. Uh, that one was fatal too. That's it for now. Some other time I can tell how I found your podcast. A daily two-hour car commute across rural Japan. No English radio station. Running out of those short aviation podcasts. Keep up the great podcast and let me know if Jeff, Dana, or Jeff, oh, sorry, if Jeff or Dana make it to Syracuse one of these days. It would be nice to meet you. Blue skies, Stefan. P.S. I'm a CFI in the local flying club, so don't complain too much about the slow preceding aircraft on the ILS into Syracuse. Of course we will. Uh, <laughs> Best forward, Steve. Yeah, Best that, forward that, speed, please, Stefan. Exactly. Break them out of the pattern. Go, Move them out yeah. of the way. That just goes with the territory, I'm afraid, <laughs> Stefan. So, as Stefan, uh, who works in the Department of Physics Ooh. in Syracuse, uh -huh. Syracuse so University, he's got a brain the size of a planet. So. Yeah, go orange, right. right? Isn't that what they? Exactly yeah. right. Uh, something like that. Something like that. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, thanks very much indeed for your very nice compliment. Uh, yeah, the, the, it's, that accident does highlight. Uh, various uh, bits and bobs, but you're right. Uh, it it was certainly considered to be on the captain's mind uh, that he was running out. But uh, it's very hard to have a, a cutoff um, when you start a flight because uh, you really don't know um, if you could have made the flight uh, well easily inside your uh, duty limits or not because of course it depends on so many other factors uh, like uh, whether you're going to get a tailwind or not whether there's holding or not uh, all those various things how long the taxi out is so quite honestly uh, usually it's the end of your duty time and you have to work backwards to work out when you can push but most uh, flight duty rules uh, allow a buffer. So at your discretion, you're allowed to go and extend your flight duty period uh, just to take into account those unexpected delays so that you don't feel under uh, a pressure. Now, obviously, the Tenerife uh, accident, uh, the Dutch authorities had introduced a new flight time limitation scheme that had no flexibility, it appears. And that's one of the reasons that the captain was put under so much pressure. But that doesn't exist for most of us. Certainly my flight time limitations, I've, I can increase them by up to two hours. Uh, admittedly, I've got to justify it afterwards, but uh, that two-hour buffer allows me to conduct a flight without much concern that I'm going to run out of flight duty time. I guess yours is, the, is a similar thing, Jeff? Yeah, so now we're operating and have been now for, I don't know, over a year, maybe a couple of years. 
uh, FAR uh, Part 117 that deals specifically with flight time uh, rules and duty regulations, that kind of thing. And it is very definitive. And we do have that two-hour um, extension, which is pretty much applied automatically. And we have a system at our company that uh, lets us know uh, when we get our final paperwork what the uh, latest uh, possible uh, pushback time, actually takeoff time, uh, so that, and it takes into account how long the uh, the flying time is going to be to the destination, taxi in, taxi out, that kind of thing. And basically, it's a drop-dead time. So it's a very clear delineation for, for us operating in the United States under the FAA uh, Part 117. And uh, there is really no flexibility to that. So, And the problem with you know establishing a time um, you know, as far as like pushback from the gate or door closure is that as Captain Nick mentioned, you don't really know what's going to happen once you push back. You might um, get taxi instructions and then they say, okay, pull over to the holding pad and your wheels up yeah, time when, is three hours I'm wondering hours if something like that happened here where they got a, you know, a, a wheels up time that was significantly further in the future than they were anticipating. And then they said, oh, no, well, that's not going to yeah. gonna work. Because I don't think if they knew that in advance that they would have left the gate and then turned around that quickly. That seems... A little strange. Yeah, to be honest, it happens. To, to be honest, it wasn't. I, I don't don't believe it was really a hard call for the captain. It was like he had to because mm-hmm. not only is the company responsible for making sure that we don't exceed or break any of these rules, uh, we are as individuals also equally responsible, and we can be violated if we break those rules. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, there are. I, I you do make some good points, Stefan, um, but. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I guess you can write to the FAA to see if they might reconsider their Part 117 rules, but uh, probably not. Yeah, there are plenty of ways to skin a cat, and uh, most countries have a, a different way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, and some countries are slightly more relaxed, and other countries are very strict about it. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, you know, you've know you just got to learn the rules that you're working under and uh, stick to them as best you can. But uh, we, we're pretty uh, experienced at dealing with it. And to be fair, one of the uh, things that your command course when you become a captain teaches you and one of the things you'll be assessed on is your ability to make the right decision when you're put under that kind of pressure and more importantly not let that pressure become overwhelming Uh, so you know you just stay clear-headed in the situation and and uh, act accordingly uh, of course, sometimes, uh, you know, it's, we're all human, yeah. but uh, and, and then the system falls down because uh, as happened in Tenerife. For sure. Hey, Stefan uh, or Stefan, uh, both Dana and I do on occasion lay over in Syracuse. And I just have one word for you. Dinosaur. Mm, barbecue. Yeah, I, I've never eaten dinosaur. I really want to go to that. It's place. really, really good. I fly dinosaurs. And I eat dinosaurs. <laughs> they're, they're both very good. It's a theme. Yes. And you are. And just a reminder, uh, check out. Thank you very much I for that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I realized it about me. five seconds after you said, well, well wait a minute. Dinosaurs, Did you just say dinosaurs' brains are a long way from their heads. 
What? Okay. Um, well, didn't the brontosaurus have two brains? He had one in his head and one in his tail because he I'm was so sure big. I'm not sure who's teaching you the science information, but I'm not sure that is accurate. Yeah. We could go so many places with that, but we're not going to. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, Stefan, just a reminder to you and everyone out there, uh, look at the APG community calendar. And when we have our schedule, we put it there. And uh, that's the way we end up actually doing a lot of these meetups. People say, hey, Jeff, I noticed you're going to be in Syracuse on the whatever. So check that out. And uh, if you see me in your town, let's definitely get together, Stefan. Thank you. Tom sent us some audio feedback, and now we're going to play it for you. Hi, PG crew. Tom here. First thing first, just wanted to send my well wishes to Captain Nick uh, with regards to your back. Um, I know there's been some question over whether you'll be able to complete your your last flight at this stage um, because of the issues you've been having. Um, And although you've taken a, a stiff upper lip approach to that and alluded to the fact, fact that at this stage the the uh, earlier the retirement comes um, the better I'm sure in reality you would like that to be under slightly um, better circumstances um, and in nothing else uh, if nothing else I'm sure um, the pain isn't particularly enjoyable so sending um, my prayers on that one Captain Nick. Um, I have a question uh, just listened to or just listening to episode 368 um, and it's uh, sparked by the demise, or the recent demise of WOW Airlines. Um, it seems like, uh, to use a poor analogy, um, a lot of these household names are dropping like flies at the moment. We've seen the loss of Monarch, um, Flyby, FlyBMI, um, Thomas Cook, uh, Norwegian are under question at the moment. Um, and it is slightly concerning for someone who's uh, looking to to start a career um, in the piloting world um, to see all these airlines going bust. Um, especially since, on on one hand, you've got uh, the this this pilot shortage, which um, seems to be confirmed by the fact that um, in the, in the way that airlines are currently um, employing pilots, seems to be quite a big. Op- push on employment in general there's a increase in in paid for uh, cadet schemes um, there's a return of the bonded type rating and um, lower low hour pilots are being um, are being employed uh, more frequently we've had um, BA recently um, announced that they're now accepting modular pilots onto their um, onto their training courses and so that all seems very positive for someone like me, but then you have all these um, airlines, all these household names sort of disappearing. Um, uh, and it's not as if these are, are um, sort of minor, minor businesses either. Um, so is this a case of, you know, that there's only room for so many airlines in, in this business? You have a couple of high-class products, um, such as Acme Red, and British Airways, you have uh, you have a couple in the middle, and then you have your sort of low cost, a uh, couple of your low cost carriers, and and anyone outside of that doesn't really get a look in, uh, or is there something deeper underlying there? Do we think that's affecting the financial health of these companies? 
Um, all of this is slightly concerning for someone looking to, to make a start in the industry, and that's without even uh, looking at Brexit. So any thoughts that the, the crew has on that would be well appreciated. Um, I know that, that you don't have crystal balls, but it's just good to get a bit of a, a uh, an insider's view. Um, that's it really from me. Um, my squawking 7,000 reference in my last feedback went uh, flew about as well as a, a lead balloon in uncontrolled airspace, so I'll stick to the more traditional sentiments. Clear skies, tailwinds, unlimited visibility. Cheers. Well, we know what it means now. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it, Jeff? It uh, is. It's good, yeah, it's good uh, Tom. Um, I think you'll find that when an airline goes down, it's not like there's going to be a whole bunch less jobs. Uh, there certainly will in the very short term, but most of those pilots are taken on by other outfits pretty big because an airline going down leaves a gap in the market which other airlines will fill or another airline will start up um, because uh, obviously there were passengers who wanted to uh, fly with that uh, airline that went down and now there's a vacancy so other airlines usually move in which means they take on aircraft and need more crews uh, and the industry is continuing to grow so there is uh, you know a, an increase in the demand for air travel and there is physical there are physically more aircraft out there every year so there are more cockpits to be filled so I wouldn't feel too downbeat about the back there have been a few financial failures and a few airlines have gone down uh and unless of course you're one of the poor blokes and or girls who worked for one of those airlines then you have my enormous sympathy um the, as regards coming into the industry uh press on regardless old chap because you will find a cockpit of that i'm uh, absolutely certain um now if you don't get into um uh, the airline of your choice first time round, you're going to be looking to gain experience in a, a minor airline, say, and then move on to ones, uh, a bigger one that are more established airlines. So uh, at some point, you'll be leaving that airline anyway. So, you know, don't worry too much if it if that job isn't perfect or if that airline indeed goes bust, it may be the trigger you need to take your CV and uh, move on to something bigger and better elsewhere. Um, but uh, airlines have been going bust uh, for as long as they've been around and the industry continues. It's, it's uh, a short-term blip, but it shouldn't uh, affect you in a, in a long career. Golly, I, I know guys on our airline that have been in five or six airlines, most of which have gone bust under them. Uh, so, you know, it's not an unusual thing. And uh, these pilots continue to work. They continue to find somewhere uh, that, to get a job. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all doing fine. So I, I shouldn't be too concerned. Brexit is also a short-term problem. And uh, it's it, flying um, between the UK and Europe is too valuable a um, commodity for it to be interrupted for long by the change in laws that will occur during Brexit. So I fully anticipate that uh, there'll be a reasonably seamless um, switch uh, when uh, Brexit occurs, whether it's a uh, you know no deal or whether it's a softer type of uh, break. 
uh, the industry is too valuable to suddenly stop flying to Europe, even for a few days. So, you know, tr trust me on this. Uh, no one's stupid enough to let uh, that happen. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would uh, just press on and uh, with confidence uh, and, you know, trust that your own ability and skill and attractiveness as a um, an employee with a good airline will shine through and that you'll get a decent job, uh, perhaps not the first time around, but certainly when you've got a bit of time under your belt, uh, you know, the next time or the third time, you'll find the, the perfect job to match you. Yeah, I think the uh, bigger driving force for uh, pilot job security right now is not so much individual airline stability. It's more the, especially here in the U.S., um, pilot shortage. So now is a good time to be getting into the airlines. Um, there are plenty of um, jobs companies are hiring and uh, movement in terms of um, seniority and upgrades here in the U.S. at least is is very favorable. And it, uh, I think even more important here in the U.S. Uh, to get on with a company that, uh, you know, you never really know. I mean, there are some of the great airlines um, have yeah. disappeared. But uh, if you can, uh, try to get on with one that seems to be at least um, a little bit more. Relatively stable. Sta because <laughs> Been around for a while. You know. Yeah, because I don't think that the opportunity uh, is the same here as far as let's say your airline goes under and then you get on with another carrier, you here in the U S start at the bottom. Of yes, the you'll be, at, you'll list. be at the bottom. Um, yeah. You'll have a job, but you will be at the bottom. Uh, whereas um, I think that in other places around the world, it seems like there's a more lateral movement uh, as far as, you know, getting on with another company as a captain, instead of starting right from mm -hmm. scratch, you know, so. That usually requires um, a contract under a third party so you'll you won't you won't be a full-time employee and do that with many airlines you'll be a contract pilot and that has its own risks with lack of benefits etc although it can be very lucrative you really do have to organize your own life a great deal um, but uh, there are some airlines that where almost all their pilots are contract pilots. But uh, I know in the UK, our, our main uh, union is trying desperately to get that stopped because uh, we don't think it's a, it's a good employment model for the pilots involved. Uh, we think it's much better to be in an airline like ours, Jeff, where we are we are, we get benefits and we have job security and we are looked after to a certain extent because it makes us much safer pilots certainly in my opinion sure but i will say this too because i know there's a lot of um folks listening who are just uh coming up to being in uh, getting into their first airline career there are a lot of variabilities in terms of what makes a particular job good for one a good fit for one person and not a good fit for another person um a lot of it depends on where you are with your not only your career, but also where you are in life, you know, in terms of family and location and um, priorities. Um, so, you know, sometimes the things that come into play, especially when deciding on a first job is where are you going to be based reasonably? Will you have to commute? What are the benefits? What are the, you know, signing bonuses that are being offered? What are the potentials for um, the job that you're in flowing directly into one of the major carriers versus having to reapply when that comes time? So there's a lot of things to sit down and weigh and not um, any one person will have the same um, uh, decisions to make just based on their own individual circumstances. Good point. Absolutely. Hey, uh, just to let you know, we mentioned that Dana is not with us today. Dana, it looks like he's having a lot of fun. 
flying in this wonderful <laughs> weather out there. Oh, yeah. We have a, a screenshot of some of the weather that he has been trying to fly through and around. And we also have a screenshot from the ACARS on his dinosaur airplane. Uh, it says uh, Atlanta departure information, one and a half statute miles, rain, mist, mist, scattered, 600 scattered, 1500 broken, 3000 overcast. Temperature 18, dew point 17, 2951 pressure. That's uh, that's pretty low pressure, obviously, because this is a low pressure system bringing in all, all this nasty weather. So, sorry, Dana. Seven seven knots wind. That's not terrible, though. No, the wind's not bad, actually. Pretty light. It's, it's a lot better than it is here. I'm looking out the window. It is definitely more than seven knots looks like, and gusty. Looks like the brunt of the system has pretty much passed the Atlanta area. Yeah, it's no longer over Atlanta, but is he having to fly east or west, do you know? I know he was going to Savannah, or maybe he started in Savannah. I don't know where he's going now. Do you recall, uh, Steph? Uh, He ends up in Indianapolis. Oh, good. So at least he's on the backside of the system then. Yeah, but I don't know where he goes in between. I think there was one more Uh, that I can't recall. Anyway, well, Dana, if you're listening to this after the fact, which I doubt, um, we wish that you were with us. Be safe. Pittsburgh. He's going to go to Pittsburgh. Ah, okay. Oh, no. Yeah, he's on... Pittsburgh, isn't that east? It's pretty much north, uh, due north from oh, Atlanta. It? Yeah. Oh, okay. In that case, he's you know he's mm. it's western west Pennsylvania. Of it seems, oh, I've got it. It's at the top of the map there. Yeah, he'll be able to go around that, won't he? I think so. Yeah. To get there. Yeah. The hardest part was probably from getting in t- uh, from Savannah to yeah. Atlanta. Not fun. All right. Um, we have some more audio feedback. This one from Glenn Billington. He's an RJ first officer. Howdy there, airline pilot guy crew. Or should I say g'day, given that I am actually an Aussie, albeit temporarily transported, well, not in the original way of transportation, but transported to the northeast. I'm here working as a first officer at the moment, about halfway to the hours I need for an upgrade to captain, with Acme Speedbird. Part of my journey is down to you guys, The uh, information uh, that I've gleaned from listening to the airline pilot guy for the last year or so has been fantastic. In fact, it's even helped me uh, do the theory for the ATP CTPs. So thanks for that, guys. I want to give something back and hence my first audio feedback. Firstly, to Alex Ball. My advice to you, sir, is have a discussion with a dame. Find a dame that you are able to openly discuss the issues with and that'll put you in the best position to know if you're going to be able to hold a class one medical under the Australian system, which is highly equivalent, but not exactly. There are areas of difference uh, with the FAA system. There's some areas where Australia focuses on more, for example, uh, yearly ECG, um, and some areas where America focuses on more. Uh, Can't speak to the European system, but I understand it's uh, largely equivalent as well. But it's going to come down to that relationship with the DAMI, Designated Aviation Medical Examiner, and what their perspective is uh, and the input from, you know, specialists if required as to going forward. But as uh, as the crew have stated a couple of episodes back, push the limits, find out what you can do, and then do them to the best of your ability. For a young pup from Australia like myself, uh, one thing that blows me away is just the scale of, of this market in the US. It is absolutely incredible. I've uh, been in Atlanta, Georgia for, for my sims. I haven't actually operated in and out of there yet. I have operated into some fairly busy airports such as Charlotte, 
um, and multiple other airports uh, on the on the east coast, including uh, New York airports. And the scale is just mind blowing uh, in comparison to uh, to say the largest airports in Australia, where our our uh, highest classification of airspace is Class Charlie. So. Uh, um, seeing the plethora of Bravos, multiple runway operations, converging runway operations, and being part of that and operating in that is just a, a fantastic level of experience. I don't know if I uh, quite enjoy the uh, winter de-icing as much and uh, the smell of glycol coal in the morning, but perhaps that'll grow on me. One thing I just want to reflect on is, um, and I want to applaud the US is, and I understand this was a joint venture between the airlines and the regulator some time back, uh, it needs to be done the way that America does it in the rest of the world for environmental reasons and for other reasons. And that is flow management, ground holds, the fact that we're not dispatching aircraft to a busy location with the likely need for them to hold is so much better for the environment. Um, in so far, uh, you know, over a thousand uh, legs that I've done here here in the US, I've had to hold once. And that just gives you an idea about how efficient the system is. I've had to hold on the ground where we're just burning, you know, um, a bit of fuel on the APU. We can shut an engine down, but we're not we're not we're not uh, burning all of this precious resource in the air. And it does slot in quite well with uh, with the release times and then also speed control into the approaches that we don't get these big holding stacks over the northeast, the uh, the most dense aviation corridor in the world. So uh, if there's any regulators from Europe or Australia or Asia listening, um, there's something to be learnt from what I've seen here. There's something to be taken as a model, exported and applied elsewhere because I think, uh, I think that uh, methodology as it applies does work extremely well. I know the application in Europe is going to be more difficult because you're not dealing with a single regulator. There's a multitude of uh, countries involved. But uh, if we can progress along that path globally, I think that will help reduce our carbon footprint as an industry, make us more uh, more uh, responsible in going forward. Anyway, enough of my uh, soapbox on that. By way of a heads up, there's actually many dozen Australians working here in the US. Now, it's not a takeover bid. Rest assured, people, we come in peace. And um, personally, from my perspective, I'm incredibly uh, thankful for the ability to progress my career in this context, um, have the uh, opportunity to travel, have my family experience that opportunity and uh, and, and move forward. Um, most of those Australians are with uh, Acme Utah, but they're spread amongst a number of mainly the regional carriers, as is the case for myself as well. The um, the training here I've experienced thus far has been a very uh, very high standard, very casual uh, but high standard. So a relaxed but appropriate level of standard. In some ways, reflecting on it, it's a better balance than perhaps is seen in Australia. And from anecdotal feedback, from what I've heard, uh, is similar to Europe, with uh, uh, maybe over applicability of the theory aspects of one's education as opposed to the practical. The uh, the approach here in the US does seem to be uh, to get the applicable skills brought forward and applied. And uh, looking at the history, there's no detriment in terms of the safety of operation, in terms of uh, American 
statistics compared to around the world. So having experienced that firsthand, I can see that that is a uh, a nice and refreshing change uh, from my and one I hope to be part of for for at least a few years before I skulk back and and, and, and transported back down under. I'd invite the uh, the wider audience, if they wish, and I'm happy for my contact details to be shared, to reach out, contact me through uh, through LinkedIn or Facebook uh, if they are thinking about looking at the opportunities that are here. We're very lucky, uh, not just in terms of the fact that uh, uh, the experience gleaned from Australia with the 1500-hour rule can be applied into this market, but also that the relationship uh, between the governments is such that we do actually have a, um, a, a pretty good opportunity to come and work here, um, and that's facilitated uh, rather well. So uh, so thanks, thanks, Uncle Sam. Appreciate it. Safe, uh, safe travels all, and maybe uh, catch around uh, in the northeast corridors of the United States. Cheers, Glenn Billington. Cheers, Glenn. Wow, I hope that uh, we'll bump into each other, um, figuratively, figuratively speaking. Yes. <laughs> well <done>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just in the airport terminal, right? It's like yeah. you know, passing by. Yeah, not not in the air. Exactly. Right? But some uh, some great points. A couple different ones there. I did notice that he uh, appears to think that in the U.S. here we are going green. We're going green. We're going green. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going green. Thank you, Steph. Yeah, Always. I know we were looking for a reason to play that <laughs> exactly. for the past few episodes and haven't managed it. So sneak it in when we can. Uh-huh. That's what she said. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, you said several points. Uh, were you going to make any more? Um, I don't know. Do we want to... Oh. Trying to think back to the beginning of, uh, he was referencing someone else's uh, feedback, I think, with regards to medical issues. Yeah. Is that what he was talking about? And he about? said something about find a dame. Is that what he said? Is that like a... He refers to an, a designated aviation oh, medical examiner. so I was thinking, okay. I know. At first I thought he was talking about like, find yourself a lady. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I thought too. And I thought, okay, but what would she know Get about your advice. medical situation? I don't... <laughs> uh, Sorry, it, it took lady. me a moment to work it out too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Some, there's some lady oh, aviation medical examiners out Dedicated. there. But, okay. Or, or yeah. designated, designated, I think. Or designated, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not entirely certain because we would just say AME, yeah, yeah. I think. Okay. But um, that, that's fine. Different ways to refer to things yeah. around the world. So good advice for who was the listener he was referring to now. I can't uh, remember. I think Andy? Patrick or... Patrick? <laughs> not sure exactly. <laughs> so, someone who had a question yeah, for us a while back. Somebody, yeah. Yeah. All right. The, uh, the, sorry, carry on, Steph. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you were mentioning uh, how well you guys have flow control. Yeah, uh, that seems to be very efficient. Um, of course, it doesn't really affect those of us who fly internationally and in. Um, so we often get uh, delayed when, uh, you know, because obviously we're not flexible enough and in different uh, regions as we approach the states but uh they're certainly catching on uh, in the uk if you speak to adam spink then uh, he knows all about uh, speed control going into somewhere like heathrow and keeps it under control such that it uh is really um well organized as soon as we come off the atlantic really we're um, given uh, some speed control and uh, so that we're sequenced and nowadays there is much less holding uh, and of course uh, Europe really is now uh, under uh, 
Maastricht and uh, major um, uh, air traffic control regions, and they do coordinate pretty well. Uh, but I'm not a short-haul guy around Europe, so I don't know uh, how well it works. Uh, I just fly over it occasionally. But it's certainly, I think, we, we're catching on, and uh, with future air navigation systems, uh, it's only going to become more and more efficient. Yeah, as I've mentioned Radio. before, you know, the the number of times that I've held in the last six months or a year is, is definitely, I can count on my hand, uh, one hand uh, or less, um, because it used to be very, very common for us, especially coming into Atlanta or Chicago or New York. Uh, in fact, that's still <laughs> not uncommon uh, if we're heading up to the New York airports and uh, there's a little bit of bad weather up there sometimes uh we end up getting to hold in several different spots and what are you You're holding around, up to the camera there nick uh this is a hot cross bun uh, i wasn't going to mention it but i know you're fasting so this is yeah, a, a toasted tea cake uh and a hot cross bun so i just thought i'd yeah thank mention you it. appreciate yeah, that no problem i, I love you too it's got religious connotations because that's where the cross comes from oh yeah that's true yeah yes very nice. Interesting. I'm going to eat Looks it lovely. now. Okay. So, did we, uh, Steph? Have you been thinking about it even harder about who that was that uh, Glenn was? I believe it was Alex that oh, he was referring. Very to. good. Not Thanks, that Liz. Liz had anything to do with that. <laughs> well, I was in the right. I was. I seem to have a knack for nailing down the first letter yeah. of people's names and the number of letters in their name. I think I said Andy. Oh. I'm not sure where you came up with Patrick. I have no idea. <laughs> I think somebody else in a earlier piece of feedback referred to somebody uh, named Patrick. Gotcha. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Go back and listen. Scroll backwards or whatever. Yes. All Rewind. right. Um, let's see. 11. Okay. We have this from Philip. And he says, hi, APG crew and listeners. Hope you're all well. Philip from Switzerland checking in. In my very first feedback, which I must have sent in a year ago, I mentioned a flying program offered by the Swiss government called SPHAIR, S-P-H-A-I-R, Talents for the Sky. It gives Swiss citizens ages 18 through 23 the chance to gain their first flying experiences in an intensive two-week-long flying course. The program was created to identify future Air Force pilots, but also gives you a clear advantage if you apply for any pilot training program in Switzerland. I'm now very happy to say that I've passed the initial screening tests and will be attending a two-week flying course in August in Grenchen, uh, Lima 5, Zulu Lima Golf. Sierra, Zulu Golf. Is it Sierra? It looks like an airport code, LSZG. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm it's sorry. Sierra, Zulu Golf. I don't know why, to me, it's looking like a, a 5, but okay. It's the it's font. Cause... The font is a little oh, okay. strange in this. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's a different font than all the other ones are using. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Philip's got to be different. Have you had your eyes tested recently? I'm sorry. Where? Where are you? <laughs> where? Where? Where are you? What? What? Uh, what? What, what runway are we landing on again? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> the one in front of us, hopefully. There you go. Okay, here. Let me get my uh, my progressive lenses out, and then I'll tilt my head up because they're progressive lenses and sure enough i see clearly now lima sierra zulu golf okay anyway 
Uh, so where where were we before I was so rudely interrupted with my? He's ha- he's uh, passed his initial screening test and he's going to be attending this two week flying course. Okay. In August. Uh, the screening involved tests in spatial orientation, concentration tests, technical understanding, maths, mental arithmetics, optical perception, visual memory capacity, and English. Truthfully, I was having my doubts whether I passed or not, but it all turned out for the best. Now, I'd like to say a big thank you to the APG crew and community. Ever since I was a child, I loved planes, and I grew up to be an aviation geek. As one of the younger listeners, 21 years, who sometimes still needs some guidance, the podcast, interactions with the community, and all the stories I've heard have been an immense inspiration and have motivated me to follow my passion in aviation. I've never thought about becoming a commercial pilot, but I think the flying course in August should give me some good guidance whether or not I should pursue this path. Attempting to become an Air Force pilot is not an option for me, as unfortunately I was medically discharged from the Swiss Army. For now, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take step by step and start my studies in communications in September and stay involved in the world of aviation as much as possible. Even though you just hit the 50% accuracy mark, thank you so much for the weekly podcasts and all the work you put into them. But also a big shout out to the community for being so active. It makes this podcast very unique. Clear skies, tailwinds, and all the best, Philip. Brilliant. I, I want to know. Sounds like if, a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, I want to know if Philip escaped from the Swiss Army with his knife. Uh, his, his Swiss Army <laughs> knife. Did you get to keep it, or did you have to give it back? That's a great question. <laughs> Let us inquiring minds want no, to know, Philip. You'll have question. to <laughs> exactly right. I had a look at Grinchen Airport. It's uh, it's a nice looking little place. It's uh, about fourteen hundred feet above sea level. Uh, so not um, you know there's some interesting uh, um, factors there. Um, it's got a runway of just over three thousand feet, uh, which appears to be asphalt. Uh, and, Looks like uh, they're having a thunderstorm right now, too. Who's following? Oh, right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of grass runways as well. So, oh. uh, yeah, you'll get some good experience there. Pretty little uh, terminal, control room, etc. Excellent. Well, if you, too, want to get a virtual tour of Grinchin, look it up on Google. Mm, one of those grass strips is a glider strip, it specifically says. Oh, right. Okay. Neat. Hey, Thomas. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. You guys want to keep no, talking about this? I just wanted to wish Philip uh, all the best and uh, good luck. Yes. Thank you. Let me. us know how the uh, the course turns out. Yeah. And what Absolutely. your decision is beyond that. That sounds like an interesting thing. And uh, and he's right. The uh, The community that's built around this podcast is just, it, it does make it unique. And we do appreciate that. All right, um, 12, Thomas sent in some audio feedback, Thomas Merriman, and he says, uh, sorry for the poor audio quality, but I was on the road and listening to episode 369 and wanted to leave you a little bit of follow-up feedback regarding your discussion from the feedback that I left in that episode. I hope it serves as some food for thought. So without further ado, let's play Thomas's feedback. Hey, APG crew, this is Thomas uh, getting back to y'all regarding the feedback of mine you played in episode 369. And I just wanted to uh, answer a couple of questions and give you a little more food for thought 
based on some things that came up in your discussion of that feedback. Um, the main one being uh, Nick brought up just the difference in if you have staffed firefighting uh, services and uh, aircraft uh, specific apparatus, so our specific apparatus on the airfield, or if you just have regional or county, city, however it works, apparatus that respond to the airport in the event of an alert or alert two or alert three. So uh, basically what that all comes down to is what's known as the FAA part 139. Um, and a portion of the part 139 stipulates everything from apparatus capabilities to the amount of apparatus, how that apparatus has to be able to operate, what it has to be able to flow as far as foam, water, um, and there are different types of foam and everything like that. All of that is outlined in part 139 um, from the FAA. So I won't go into depth on that. I will say though, and I'm sorry, Jeff, if I'm overdoing the, uh, the subject you brought up of other podcasts that are kind of getting more and more into the aviation sector. But if you want to check out more about this, I do cover it in depth in some feedback that I sent to the guys over at Opposing Bases. And uh, I'm kind of unmasking myself. I'm Thomas here on APG when I send feedback. Over there, I am Tango Mike. But um, if you go and listen to the feedback on episode 37 of Opposing Bases at the 39-minute mark, I go into depth explaining the FAA Part 139 stipulations and some of the apparatus capabilities uh, that most airports are going to have. So all that being said, um, just real quickly, talking about the communication, uh, which I agree is totally the backbone of operations between a captain of an aircraft or the PIC, um, which at the end of the day, though, when it comes down to it, should be at the time evacuation determinations are made, that's going to be the captain, um, and between the fire commander. Um, and it depends on the department and the department structure who you may be in contact with. With some departments, that may be the rank of captain. It may be a division chief, a district chief, or it could be a department chief, depending on how the airport is set up. For instance, um, here locally in Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth International, they have their own public safety department. They have their own police and fire and EMS. So if you deal with them, you're dealing with Dallas-Fort Worth Fire Rescue. They are specifically a fire department for the airport. For instance, if you go over to Arizona, to Phoenix Sky Harbor, Phoenix Sky Harbor has fire stations at the airport, specific to the airport, but the individuals who staff it are actually employees of the City of Phoenix Fire Rescue Department, and they are also trained in structural firefighting, and they may split their time between stations, or they may have started out in a regular station and now work at the airport. But it just depends where you go. However, regardless, basically anywhere that is going to be having commercial traffic is going to have a dedicated apparatus with dedicated personnel specifically trained in aircraft fire suppression, evacuation, handling aircraft um, type emergencies. Now, the one interesting point I would like to bring up, and I'll leave you with this, you were talking about the ways that you communicate, and uh, Jeff, you brought up the lack of consistency, at least here in the U.S., which was really interesting to hear uh, Captain Nick talk about how he has a little bit more uniform capabilities in uh, the U.K., when it comes to contacting fire services. I know a lot of departments near me utilize the ground frequency. However, listening to some incident tapes, you will find that it depends on the ability of the crew to change frequencies, uh, which, you know, if there's an electrical issue or whatever the case might be, you may or may not be able to do that readily. Um, there may also be an issue of task saturation and things like that. And it may be that they're able to bring fire rescue to whatever frequency the aircraft is on. So it could be tower, 
or it could be that they have them change over to ground, or they could have a dedicated uh, emergency communication, basically what we call like an interop frequency, where you could talk between the fire command and the commander of the aircraft, the captain. So it just depends on the different uh, department structures here. Like Jeff talked about, it's really not a consistent thing, and I would agree that it really ought to be more consistent. And I believe that it should be something that's more widely published and known because it's really up to the air traffic controller, up to the uh, commander, and up to other people at airport operations as far as where they may direct you as a pilot when you declare an emergency and you're landing. You know, they may say contact fire rescue on ground. They may say contact fire rescue on, um, you know, decimal six, whatever it is. Um, it may really just depend on what they think is the, uh, the appropriate setup for that event. Now, I should also point out, though, the last thing I'll leave you with is that there is no uniformity between departments as far as who and how many people hear your transmissions. You actually talk typically um, to one commander, so it'll be, you know, whatever the moniker that that fire department uses. It could be Red One, Smoky One, Crash One, Arf One, whatever the case may be. But you are talking to the commander of the scene. However, they are only in one piece of apparatus. They may be in one of the ARF trucks or they may be in a command vehicle, but they are not necessarily the same individuals interacting directly with your aircraft. And all of their communications with their personnel in the other trucks could be taking place and is taking place on possibly another analog frequency that you have no ability to tune to with your radio equipment or a lot of public safety departments now use digital trunk systems and there's no way to actually tie your aircraft in with the current equipment that aircraft have, that's a completely different spectrum of, um, of radio space than what the digital systems that public safety departments are migrating towards. So a lot of these departments are only outfitting their command vehicles or certain ARF vehicles with the um, UHF, VHF radios that they would need to contact the aircraft you know, on ground or on uh, tower frequency, whatever the case may be. So just another thing to kind of keep in mind, um, always just, you know, more knowledge I feel like is more useful in this case, but just something to think about when you're discussing these things with a commander, the other individuals and other apparatus on scene are more than likely not going to be hearing your transmissions directly. So they don't have the same context that you're giving to that commander. And there's a time loss in that relay of information. And of course, again, it's like playing the game of telephone where you give information to the commander, the commander then has to make decisions and pass that information along to the individuals and the other apparatus to make decisions about how they're gonna progress with the emergency of your aircraft. But all that to say, um, I think you brought up some other excellent points um, from my main feedback, and hopefully this just sheds a little more light on things. And if you ever have more questions about the public safety side of things, I'm happy to do that. I've got connections throughout uh, standard firefighting and airport firefighting. Uh, with my public safety background. So I would be happy to do that. As always, thanks for the great show, and uh, I'll be here listening. Wow. Talking about a lot of information there. That is excellent. It's so, so good. As you said, knowledge is you know a big part of running a safe operation, communications as well. And uh, I had no idea that all that stuff was going on behind the scenes. Now, I am a little perturbed, uh, as I think uh, 
um, Thomas is that uh, there's no standard uh, way of communicating uh, and that it's might we might only be able to speak to one person uh, in the firefighting team who then has to relay through a completely different communication system to the the people under his command as to what's going on so it means that uh, if we need to give an urgent uh, instruction it may take some time for it to filter down to the person that we're concerned about um, that's obviously one area of concern for me yeah but i picked up on something else uh um it, it depends on, of course who you're talking to but uh if someone said to me uh am i speaking to the pic i wouldn't have a clue what he's talking about because now of course i realize he's referring to the pilot in command or the person in command i guess the pilot in pilot command. command yeah yeah, but uh, it depends entirely where that pilot has come from as to whether he would understand acronyms like that. And uh, all I'm going to say in my six penny worth is that when it comes down to communications, you've got to speak in very plain English uh, so that you, uh, firemen, I'm sure, are just like pilots. They fill their lives with acronyms about the materials they use, the vehicles they mm -hmm. use, et cetera, et cetera. And when it comes to uh, speaking to someone who's not familiar with all that, got to kind of break that habit and uh, just speak in very plain English as to what you need and uh, what's required. And that goes both ways. So the pilots mustn't confuse the guy on the ground, assuming he knows what he's referring to when he says it, well, know, APU. He probably does know what an APU is, but that sort of thing. Right. Good points. Very good. Yep. Very good points. Um, so at least we know we have a resource in the firefighting world uh, who listens actively to our show and participates actively. Thank you, Thomas. Great stuff. It really is. Do appreciate that. Um, air stairs. You want to talk about air stairs? Ooh. Who doesn't? Yeah. yeah. Um, Ian sent a little short audio feedback regarding that we had a discussion about integral air stairs in other words air stairs that are part of the airplane that we carry with us and um, apparently we didn't get it quite right hey apg crew it's ian griffin here this is my first time recording some feedback but i've sent in some written feedback in the past I recall in APG episode 369 that Mark had a question regarding what airliners have air stairs, and you all weren't sure which ones had them. So it so happens to be that the Boeing 737 has optional air stairs on all models 200 through 800, except the new Max series. That's all I can think of for modern airliners that still fly. There have been some interesting classics that have had air stairs that you might not know about, such as the L-1011 with PSA Airways. They had some air stairs located in the lower level near the 2L door on some of the aircraft. Air Force One also has a custom set leading to what would normally be the cargo compartment with some additional stairs leading up to the passenger cabin level. There are also many additional aircraft such as the Caravelle, Vickers Vanguard, and the Vickers Viscount that have them as well, but that was pretty commonplace. Anyways, that's all for me. Hope you all have a great day and keep the blue side up. Cavu to you. Ian Griffin out. Thank you, Ian, and I'll I'll adjust that volume in post for the audio only version. Didn't have a chance to do that before today's show. I usually fix the audio so that uh, the volume is 
higher so everybody can hear it. But I, I, did you hear enough to understand what he was saying? Yeah, I could. I could hear it. It was okay. just um, yeah. uh, sounded fine not in as England. Loud. I had everything okay. just turned all the way up, and that still okay. wasn't good enough. But oh well. That's okay. I, I could hear it just fine. If you didn't adjust it, it would still be perfectly understandable. Okay. Um, so he mentioned the uh, air stairs, and, and we also had somebody named Richard uh, who sent us some feedback as well as some photos of, uh, various air stair configurations. And, uh, let me read what he had to say. Following your discussion on air stairs on the last show, I did a little Googling. I work for a B737 operator and I would be lost without my air stairs. And we often get them down and ready to disembark the passengers before the guys on the ground have even begun to drag the ground based stairs toward the back door. They are so useful and help us with quick turnaround. I've seen a few A320s in Rome with built-in air stairs, which I think are owned by the Italian government or armed forces over there. Also, I think uh, somebody let us know from a different source or a different uh, communication method that uh, Ryanair has uh, Mm -hmm. built-in air stairs in their 737s. I'm not sure about the uh, EasyJet uh, 320s, though. They probably don't. Um. Anyway, while looking for a photo of this on the internet, I came across some pictures, and amongst those were a B-757 with built-in air strips. I guess he means air stairs. And most impressive, which I would never have thought possible, is an L-1011 TriStar with them, just as Ian Griffin mentioned in his audio feedback. And uh, the pictures suggest that they extend out of the rear cargo hold and move sideways to line up with one of the cabin doors behind the wing. Amazing. Yeah. You look at these photos. It's That's pretty cool. <laughs> amazing. He's right. It's a, it's, that must be extremely heavy to carry around. And taking up a lot of space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the biggest disadvantage I see of all of these systems. Uh, you know, it's the fact you've got to lug it around all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess if you're operating into places that don't have uh, resources to turn your aircraft around quickly, then you make up for it's just a trade off, you know. Well, I reckon it'd time, be cheaper time is money too, so. to buy an air stair truck and position it in every one of your destinations, personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably so. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Liz, how much time do we have left? We have like 15 minutes, 15? maybe 10 minutes. Yeah, maybe 20. Okay. I'm just trying to look through here to see what we definitely want to do. I want to make sure that we get Deanna's Atlanta trip feedback, right? We have like 10 minutes left. I think. Okay. Um, let, let's play 10 minutes. There you go. Uh, let's play 19 Deanna. And since you can hear the stuff that I play from this computer, uh, I'll just give it a whirl here. Hello everyone, this is Deanna. I thought I would try this audio feedback and hopefully it will work. Uh, and I don't sound too stupid or anything. Anyway, I wanted to give you all an update on my flight training as well as talk to you a little bit about my experience at the Delta Flight Museum and in using the full motion um, 737 simulator at the Flight Museum. So as far as flight training, um, lots and lots of obstacles have have come up with that. Um, Had some family illness issues, I have had some issues with motion sickness during training, which I've never experienced before as a passenger. Um, it's completely unexpected and 
actually very limiting. Um, the first time it happened, um, we had just been practicing climbs and turns, and I started feeling a little bit nauseated toward the end, and this was my second lesson. I started feeling a little bit nauseated toward the end, but I'm not usually a person who vomits, so I thought, okay, this will be good. I've, I've got this under control. Just feel a little queasy, but, but we'll be okay. So we landed, um, taxied. Um, we're just doing the final checklist to, you know, to leave the airplane. And I realized with abject horror that I was going to throw up and I was not going to have time to make it out of the airplane before I did so. So I did actually manage to open the door and proceeded to vomit all over the poor landing gear. So there's that. Um, unfortunately, as, as you all know, um, you cannot take Dramamine and fly. So Dramamine is usually my go-to option for car sickness um, or car nausea. As I said, I don't, don't usually throw up. Uh, as well as roller coaster nausea. So that was out. Um, I tried ginger. That also did not work. Uh, I had to end the, that lesson early. And then I tried these little bracelet things that are supposed to apply pressure um, to acupressure points. I don't know. It, it sounds kind of like hocus pocus to me but it seemed to work I felt a little better um, however um, we had also issues with with weather um, family illness um, my illness which is, is fine now it was just a sinus thing but um, all boils down to basically I've only had about four hours in, in all this time um, I'm also having to change instructors because my instructor is moving on to to a new job so Anyway, I'm still going to try it, still going to continue. It's just taking a lot more um, time than I thought it would. So, anyway, as far as the Delta Flight Museum, that was a lot of fun. It was an absolutely glorious day yesterday. Um, the museum is right near the airport, so in between looking at exhibits, I was able to get out and watch lots of airplanes uh, taking off. Um, just absolutely gorgeous day. I stood underneath the 747 that they have there on display and, and watched airplanes take off for probably an hour. Um, so I did enjoy that. And as far as the simulator, that was an interesting experience. Um, I had never done any type of flight simulation before, um, you know, computers or anything like that. And I had just my very limited limited experience with, with four hours on a, a Cessna 172. So, which turns out does not translate that well to a 737. Um, I did a couple of takeoffs, which, which actually went quite well. I, I, I did fine with those. Um, managed to keep it on center line pretty well. Um, the landings, yeah, not so much. Um, the first one would probably have made the news. Um, would probably have made an air crash investigation story, <laughs> so that wasn't good. Um, I did a total of, I believe we did six, and they did get progressively better. Um, there were a couple where I uh, you know, took out some virtual uh, <laughs> runway signs. Um, had a couple of virtual passengers that I probably owed an apology to. Um, but by the end, it was okay. Better, um, not great, but better. I think if I were able to do it again, I, I would probably continue to see improvement. But um, the instructor was very patient. Um, we flew under the Golden Great Golden Gate Bridge, 
which was quite fun and I managed to do that without crashing into the water so uh, that was that was good and I got a good photo op from it so yeah all in all uh, I would recommend it it's expensive but you know if anybody ever gets the chance to do it it's it's lots of fun the instructor was great everybody at the museum was great I'm very knowledgeable very friendly uh, they actually treated me like somewhat of a celebrity when they found out that I was doing the simulator. They got all excited. I guess maybe they don't get a whole lot during the week. Um, this was yesterday, so it was um, Tuesday. Uh, I guess they don't get a lot of people during the week doing the simulator. It's, I suppose, mostly a weekend thing. So they were they were very good about that. And on the flight home, I, I did actually end up having a question um, for you. We were on a Boeing 737-9, and I noticed that when they did the flight safety briefing, usually they will specifically state that, this was Amy Airlines, by the way, um, they will usually specifically state the type of aircraft and say, you know, for example, this Boeing 737 has six safety exits. Um, this time they did not use the word Boeing. Uh, they said this, I believe they said seven, how did they say it? Um, it's not how I'm used to hearing it. I think they said 739. I think is what they said. The 739 aircraft is how they identified it during the safety briefing. So it made me wonder, because of all the potential fear associated with customers, or um, passengers rather, flying on um, the 737, or Boeings in general, it just made me wonder if maybe airlines are instructing their people to, to not gloat or, or boast over the Boeing brand, which I think is sad, but just curious what your thoughts on that were. So, much respect to you guys to, who land airplanes every day after my experience of un, somewhat unsuccessfully um, landing a simulator. I was actually going to speak with the, the pilots at the end of my trip on the way home and, and just let them know, hey, thanks guys, um, much respect. But, it was 11 o'clock and I was tired and, and wanted to get home, so I didn't. But anyway, um, needless to say, I will not be one of these people who, well, maybe not, maybe not now, maybe eventually, but um, if I ever make it onto the news for landing an airplane, it's probably not going to be passenger heroically lands airplane after both pilots get sick with food poisoning. <laughs> At least not without more experience. So anyway, thanks guys. Thanks for the show. I hope this doesn't sound stupid. Um, but yeah, I would like to hear what you, you guys think of it. Alright. Bye. Not stupid at all. It was very entertaining. I loved it. <laughs> um, and are you driving an 18-wheeler or a tractor or something? Did you hear that big... <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought it was just a vehicle next to uh, Deanna's, but it was there the whole time. So I'm thinking that was what she was driving. Tell us about your vehicle, Deanna. Or is it just me? It's probably just the way the uh, microphone was be, picking yeah, up just audio it, in the background. It Sometimes like... it exaggerates those those <laughs> sounds a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I'm hoping you'll work through your... Um, your Nosh, nauseatedness, your nausea. There we go. <laughs> your nausea. It's just nausea. I wanted to add a couple of different, you know, letters on the end. And by the way, Fashions. bonus nauseatedness points for proper use of the word nauseated. Nauseatedness. Yeah. Yeah. But um, 
Anyway, uh, and then uh, I'm glad that they treated you like a VIP at the uh, Delta Flight Museum. And I thought it was really... As they should. It was very funny, mm-hmm. her description of her landings. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, well, don't worry. There are plenty of pilots, out, real pilots out there that hit, are hitting runway signs. So <laughs> that's uh, true. I shouldn't, I shouldn't worry too much at all. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. And and no doubt that with a little more practice, if you ever get more time in the simulator, you will not be one of those pilots for much longer. So. Right. Exactly. Yes. I'm glad you enjoyed it so much, and uh, it's it's a it's a great idea. I think it's lovely to get a feel for that kind of stuff. It's good. I'm only sorry that and just a really oh, go ahead. Cool museum. Oh, I was just gonna say it's a great museum too. So that's yeah, lots of good stuff in there. Fun. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just sorry that I was on a trip and wasn't able to meet up with you at the uh, Delta Flight Museum. And we have a lot of uh, APG community members here in Atlanta, but I guess um, everybody was busy. So sorry about that, Deanna. Mm-hmm. Another time, perhaps. Mm-hmm. All right. You know. And her question at the end there about whether I I don't think so. I mean, I don't think I've actually flown on a It's funny though, um the the airline that I fly with most often out of Charlotte doesn't often mention which air type type aircraft you're actually on. They just direct you to look at the um safety card in the seat back pocket in front of you. Um the only airline that I fly on that does it regularly um, is actually Southwest, which is a little strange because they're flying 737s. <laughs> they're all 737s. Routinely. They're all 737s, but they do specifically mention whether it's a 700, an 800, um, or back when they had 300s, 500s. They, they would let you know, and it, it says on the card. Um, so, is it, Well, actually, on the safety card, it lists a bunch of different... I was going to say, maybe um, that's why they mentioned it. It lists whichever it. ones are common. Yeah. 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 Because they, the card so. might have 700... 500 well the the cards used to be 300 500 700 800 and i don't know if they have a separate one for their max aircraft which they're not obviously not currently flying and would the um, would the evacuation slash ditching procedures vary depending upon which the 300 and 500 had different information than the 700 800 definitely um not entirely sure about the max because i've not flown on one and not sure that i'll get a chance to anytime soon from what i remember listening to the uh, pas from our flight attendants when they're doing their safety briefing they usually say um which type of aircraft it is the boeing you know what i I think acme does actually yeah Yeah. i just don't have an opportunity to fly acme very often but i think you're right yeah that they do so maybe um maybe it was something that was put out there uh, like a memo for the in-flight group to not mention the name of the company but i have a feeling it has more to do with that individual just decided not to say boeing or just you know moment of momentary distraction and yeah you hear them say all kinds of things during some of those uh, supposed to be just standard but you know if there's a momentary distraction sometimes they skip something and pick up beyond where they left i can't tell you how many times i'm in the middle of a pa going what what are you saying right now jeff what did you say? What, <laughs> what did you say? Like, I'll say the same thing over, you know, like twice. Yes. Yes. I, I, yes. And the seatbelt light. Oh, I already told you about the seatbelt light. Never mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes when you have to say the same thing over and over and over again, like one instance of it kind of blends into the next and then you go, did I do that already or not? So like when, when I'm doing the last time or this when time, I'm doing a PA, yeah. you know, I'm looking over and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to tell them about the weather. So I'm kind of looking over, I'm talking, doing my spiel and I'm trying to get the screen up for the weather at the destination. And then at the same time, we're also sometimes listening to uh, like the communications frequency mm-hmm. and they may have given us a clearance 
you know, to descend to this altitude at this point. And so I'm trying to like absorb all that while at the same time talking. And sometimes it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm thinking it's probably more of the case of what happened there because, you know, if you can see what's going on while they're making those announcements, sometimes there are other things yeah. happening in the background and you get these momentary distractions and you go, oh yeah, I said that already, but really left out the word Boeing. Yeah. But probably not a big, big deal. All right. Well, thanks again, Deanna. Uh, really uh, enjoyed that feedback. And thank you for taking the time to do that. Uh, looks like we're going to end this feedback extra episode now. Uh, we still have several items in the feedback folder, but you know what? We've really culled a lot of it. So that's called the herd. Yeah, culled the herd. <laughs> I guess that's probably not the right term to use for people sending that, that hard, uh, hard earned we're, feedback. We're done with all of you now. I'm done. Well, there's just about enough for the next show, I would say. Yeah. Excellent. Unless we get any more. Yeah. Well, if you want to send us some more, you can head over to Air. You can <laughs> don't. Yeah, don't don't even do it. Don't even think about it. <laughs> think to yourself, I'm going to send in some feedback. No, I I don't. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm just kidding. On second thought. Um, feedback at airlinepilotguide.com. Yeah. There's also um, an avenue or a way to do that with your smartphone or tablet device if you have the uh, airline pilot guy app which can be found at, on the ios app store and google play store i believe uh, we have a really nice website that is up most of the time airlinepilotguy.com where you can find information about the apg crew the apg community which is the most important thing uh, the calendar you know meetups in the future we have a section for watching the show live uh, we have oh Let's not forget about, even though we didn't have one in this episode, uh, we can um, find the latest Plain Tale. Uh, you can also subscribe to Plain Tales as a standalone podcast. So we have a section with a lot of uh, supplementary information regarding all these um, Plain Tales installments. Right, Captain Nick? Certainly. Uh, yeah, it's on the website. And uh, yeah, you can get an RSS feed so you can get it into your pod uh, catcher of uh, choice. But it's important to, you know, I don't think I've even mentioned this before. Um, please do look at the uh, Plain Tales on the website as well, even if you get the RSS feed, because you have put in a lot of extra information, photographs and that kind of thing to support what you're talking about in the uh, in the episode. Yeah, that's right. Particularly if it's an airplane you're not familiar with and you're wondering uh, what on earth it actually looks like. I usually put a picture of it there so you can imagine it. Or you don't have to imagine it, sorry. You can actually see it. Yes. I'm just pulling up the site right now to see what else I've, have I forgot. Merchandise, coffee fund, which we didn't talk about on today's episode. But if you want to support the show financially, you can click on the coffee fund and it gives you information about that. You can contact us and... Uh, Lots of good stuff on there. We are thanks to our website, Guru Arash, and uh, doing a fine job with that. Thank you. And uh, we're also on social media, right, Steph? Yes, the social media, or social media, as Jeff prefers, social meets. <laughs> uh, you can head over to twitter.com. We are at APG Crew. Uh, interact with us there in I don't even know how many characters you can do anymore 280 I don't, who knows something brief-ish you know or send us a whole bunch of tweets it's fine your call yeah. 
Um, we're all there. You can find our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of that page. You can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy, interact with the crew, the community, post articles, find out about meetups, um, just general community involvement going on there. Hope to see you. Yes. And I've mentioned it several times on today's show, our Slack team on or our, yeah, APG Slack team and Hillel will tell us now how you can join that team. APG listeners. Please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. And a big round of applause and thanks to our producer, Liz, in Toronto, Liz Piper. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Couldn't do it without you. Does, Does a great job. Yes, she does. Brilliant! And... Until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Good day.